Welcome to Dragon Talk! Yay! <laughs> Yay! This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito, and that in the studio audience is. Shelly Mazanobo! It's a, just a 35 Shelleys in the studio audience. <laughs> I cast Mirror Image, and it's just filled with us, all Shelleys. Not a clone. They're not clones of you. They're 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 just mirror images. Okay, phew, that was close. Yes, but you don't know which one is the real one. I'm gonna shoot some magic missiles to find they're out. All doing the same thing. That would be so we, freaky. That would be really freaky if you actually saw 35 versions of yourself. You know, um, I know. I, I think I feel like I've talked about this, but like my n- reoccurring nightmare as a child was that I had eyes in the back of my head. Oh yes, you've said that. And before. that. They like when I was crying, I can still picture it like crying to my dad, like oh, I have eyes in the back of my head. And he was like, No, you don't, but yes, I do. <laughs> and I was crying, and I could see them crying and blinking at the same time that I was crying and blinking. Wow, which is weird. Like, how would I see the eyes in the back of my head? It was with my own eyes, with the eyes in the front of my head, but I saw them at the same time doing it. It's really weird. It's like uh, there's a scene in, um, well, it's in a lot of horror movies, but there's one that's in Army of Darkness where an eye pops up on a shoulder and it opens and, you know, it's really good at at visual effects. And that is probably what makes it it so scary. It would be such a weird view if you had an eye on your shoulder just like staring up at the (laughs) ceiling the whole time. (laughs) Body horror, man. Not for the faint of heart. Not at all. We should put some content warnings on this one because... Uh, of all of our body horror discussions, um, yeah. but not because of our fantastic guest. Uh, the cutest patoot is here. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Brandy Rose, otherwise known as the cutest patoot on all of the socials, is a wonderful game designer and podcast network creator, multi-hyphenate. They Streamer. do so many things. So yeah. many Teacher. amazing things right like it, it just it blew my mind how many of the amazing things he does i know that just there are people that are resourceful that just are like that sounds interesting i'm gonna learn how to do it and then they do it but then they also teach other people how to do it which i think is pretty incredible so right. yeah it does need a content warning this episode good content coming your way <laughs> So you've all been warned. This is a really good conversation. As well as like learnings like that you can take away from uh, stuff to incorporate in your games and your game design and and all that stuff. Uh, I'm looking forward to this interview. So much of it is happening. Uh, I'm also looking forward to Big B Presents Glory of the Gigantes. (laughs) 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 That's not the title, right? I think that's the localized title in Italian. (laughs) (laughs) The Giganti. Very excited for all of the content in that book that has giants, uh, lore, um, uh, characters, layers. Bestiary. Like the biggest bestiary. It's giant. It's gigantic. I'm sorry. I tried to to do that without the voice. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. (laughs) I had to do the giant voice. 
That was like a monster truck racing, racing, racing. Racing. One night only. The Live Tacoma at the Hartford Civic Center. Oh, I went to Tacoma. You went to Hartford. <laughs> <laughs> Both definitely places where monster trucks have been. <laughs> That's true. It has 100%. occurred there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're gearing up for that as well as Gen Con is coming up this year. And I, uh, I will be traveling to Gen Con. I think this Aww. might be the first public way I'm saying it, but I am. I'll be there with bells on, uh, ready to meet and greet with all of the amazing D&D fans who will also be there. And um, it'll be my first Gen Con in almost a decade, more than a decade. <laughs> oh, um, my which goodness. I'm psyched for. Wow. I don't. I can't even imagine when my last one was, but I love that it's it's back. <laughs> Sorry, I was just distracted by watching you scratch your eyebrows with a, a back scratcher. Yes, a bear claw back scratcher. Uh, yeah, those are good. This has anyway. been one of my best purchases uh, for, for work from home where I'm like, oh, there's so many they, times where I want to scratch my back while I'm in a meeting. They are remarkably good at scratching your back that feels very good i have one i want to start giving them out as uh treasures in dungeons and dragons where you have like a back scratcher plus one so if you were to brand those D D back scratchers like what would it would it be like a dragon claw like what i was just what, gonna say yeah dragon what, claw maybe an owl bear claw because this one says an owl bear claw bear claw oh then it's so it's owl bear claw already right there easy right yeah. Yeah, that's sweet. Just to imagine like an owl bear actually scratching your back for you. Like, I'm just so itchy. Could you just, okay, I'll get it. Okay. Hang on. Right here? Lower? To the left? Oh, okay. I mean, that's half the reason why you have a familiar is so that they can scratch your back, right? That would be amazing. Or mage hand, I guess. That's also oh. very handy. Yeah. Like God, I didn't even think oh, about that. Just oh. talking about this has made my back so itchy. <laughs> That's scratching. why I keep scratching. I keep scratching because it's I like, need it's... my bear claw. <laughs> Quinn, get in here. It's a self-perpetuating uh, prophecy um, by is. talking about all that. But yeah, no, I think this is a new swag idea. I agree. Yeah, people are gonna so. love it. Yeah, the dragon. We could, claw we could just call it or the claw. or the mage hand. Or the mage hand. It should just be a mage hand. And then yeah. maybe actually we should combine it with the... Uh, the, uh, the claw? <laughs> the, yeah. The gripping technology. Yes. I love those things. Mage hands for life. All right. Don't one steal this idea. Please. Or we, if you do steal, just send us a couple. Yeah. All right. Actually, that's that, great. Steal this idea. Steal the but idea. Just make sure you send us one. Make it happen and send it to us. See? We are uh, game designers at heart. We just made up um, a shareable idea. Already inspired by Brandy. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So let's be even more inspired by the cutest patoot right now. Everyone, let's welcome Brandy Rose, a.k.a. cutest patoot to <laughs> Dragon Dog. Yay! Yay! Thank you, thank you. Hi, hi, everybody. Very hi. excited. To have you here, uh, you are a, a a podcast creator, TRPG player, amazing all around person. Uh, we're so excited to chat Game about all designer. of your all of your projects. 
Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I have many hats. I recently discovered the term multi-hyphenate, and that sounds so much better than I've just mm. been telling people that I have a lot of hats, which at some point has lost the structure of the set phrasing and now just is confusing. So I'm just like, yes, multi-hyphenate. I do many things. Sometimes yes. if I want to see how long I can talk without um, breathing, I just try to say them all, and then it takes a solid minute. I'm always the person during the end credits that's like, I'm so sorry that I'm taking the longest, but I'm doing many things. Yeah. <laughs> Multi-hyphenate is great, right? Because you're writer, producer, director, actor, figure skater, DRPG <laughs> player, uh, Tiddlywinks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Especially that. Yeah. Especially yeah. that last one. Um, that's my most professional status, Tiddlywinks. <laughs> <laughs> Saw it on ESPN. Yep. <laughs> the World Ocho. Championships. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I try not to brag about the gold medal in that too much, but you know, I always keep oh, it in my Oh, but you background. should. You really should. Oh, yes. what a blast. I'm excited to be here. We are excited to have you here. I guess maybe like first question, how did you even, <laughs> I, I don't even know, like where did the first uh, hyphen drop okay. in, uh, in your career? Right. Uh, so I used to uh, stream makeup and lifestyle content for a like Belgian streamer, like model influencer website. Wow. And that's how I built a following initially. And then I had people that just, they really liked, they, okay, nobody's ever going to follow me for makeup. That's just what they told me I had to I do. Would. Um, I, I had like a model actually, contract. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I have I have bad news. This is just my skin and eyeliner and lipstick. Um, so there's not a lot of, of help I can give, but I can teach people how to do eyeliner. I taught my little sister how to do her eyeliner yeah. and she's had cat eyeliner for the last 20 years now. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm not, I wasn't really into makeup at the time. I, I taught myself how to do it over time since then. Um, also like as a cosplayer, I started cosplaying and doing those shoots and stuff and then doing behind the scenes content more. And then people just, their feedback was you're doing beauty stuff. Sure. We're just listening to you gab. Because while I'd be doing these things and, like, talking about products, I would always get distracted and just start, like, talking and talking and talking about whatever I wanted. And and eventually I was like, well, I've actually worked in podcasts before on the production side back when I was in doing my undergrad stuff. So 10,000 years ago, it feels like. And I was like, I can do this for myself. And so I started the first show and then I kept kept going because I kept having more concepts than I've I've been coming up with concepts for shows because I've been – working on towards being a producer since I was like 14 um since before I knew that's what that was called I was just like <laughs> I have show ideas and I'm gonna make them happen and I just started to do that and then through the podcasting I was invited as a media person so I, I was invited to a game show recording um mm. that never aired <laughs> so the the like like a game show like a like a, it was a like an audio game show. Like okay. it was so it was all of like me and like eight other people that were podcasters or media people in a Zoom call. And one of those media people was a podcaster, Gliza, at Classical Gliza, who is like a very like big like TTRPG player and and um, creator. And they and I we just clicked, and I didn't click with anybody else there. I was just like there, and then it was over, and I was like. I'm just kind of stuck in this like virtual after party. And Glass was like, hey, do you like TTRPGs? And I was like, I've only played Dungeons and Dragons once, but I liked it. I would play I would play more. If do you do you like them? 
You know how like and as an adult when you make a new friend and you're like, I don't know how to <laughs> talk to people anymore. Because it was also Do you like, like sandwiches? Yes, I also <laughs> like sandwiches. I mean, kind of you revert back to what you're like in kindergarten because in kindergarten, yeah. my best friend was my best friend because her birthday was the day after mine and we were like close enough. Yes. And that was it. Yeah. And we were best friends for five years. So uh so they asked me, like, do you, do you want to play in an actual play? And I was like, what's an actual play? I don't know what it is, but I'm down. And so I joined that actual play. And uh, I, d- I don't even work at that like with that studio anymore. But, like, it kind of became this snowball effect where I, like, discovered it. And I was like, I love this. And then I created a show highlighting other, like, game designers, especially, like, POC game designers, marginalized creators. And then it branched out to everybody in the space that worked professionally with TTRPGs, specifically also, like, with D&D in between. And then that snowballed into, like, I would meet them. I would interview them. My podcast network grew. I would learn from them. I became friends with them. I started working with them. I produced my own shows. I was in a lot of shows. I came into the season during, like, peak charity season in the summer. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm at home. I'm disabled. I'm not, like, I don't have, like, a day job at the time. I was like, I can do every show. I can do whatever. So for like two weeks solid, everybody suddenly saw me every day on at least (laughs) one or two, like three hour long charity streams. And like just kind of came out of nowhere. And I started learning from people. And if you listen to one of my shows, uh, Eat Crit, you can hear me like interview game designers uh, and kind of ask their process. And you can hear me go from, I don't know if I could do that to like, anyway, this is my first game. It's coming out, blah, blah, blah. And then I, (laughs) I just kind of snowballed out from that like one interaction with Gliza and it, it just blew up into me discovering I, I love game design and then realizing that I can teach people how to do game design. I can teach people how to produce APs, especially the financial parts. Those are the parts that always um, get the most people like interactions, especially on social medias and on Twitch is people love watching me share my word document and my Excel spreadsheet of like how I budget for different levels of production um, and different types of like funding for professional APs. And they just, I just, I don't know. I started learning and I did, and now I teach and I do all the things. What that I love about so that cool. exploded. is that we, I mean, we often talk about how uh, a bad role in Dungeons and Dragons is actually a mm-hmm. wonderful opportunity for storytelling. And I feel like, you know, even the projects that go nowhere, you can make a connection that blossoms an entire career like like uh like the connection you had with glenza there so that's amazing well done and the fact that you know you know it's not that dissimilar from shelly uh saying that uh you can't dungeon master shelly and then here you are like running games all over the place for kids oh i mean all over the place or in one place yeah like that's not Overinflated <laughs> yet, yeah. Things can yes. still snowball further. It's out of true. Control. It's true. I have. There's enough kids that want to play that I could be doing it in more places. But yeah, nice. It's, it's I love true. that. A lot of a lot of my first games that I designed were geared towards newbies, but also families and uh, kids. Not even just in in content. I mean, not too young the kids, I guess. But like, I wanted to make some things that were fun for anybody to play who's even played yeah. a lot of games but i also wanted games where it was like the initial uh like the first game that i designed was called for hex because i had to i could think of a pun in german and i couldn't think of one in english and then i explained it to people and they were like curses you were looking for the phrase curses and i was like well it's out now so <laughs> where were you 24 hours ago yeah before i hit publish and now it's done so it's done 
Um, but I, I came up with that game because it's it's based a little bit off of, or one of the settings in it is based off of the stories that my parents used to tell me when I had nightmares when I was a kid or when I was like afraid to go to sleep. We would kind of role play, even though we didn't know that that was what it was. We would collaborate creating these settings together and I would be the little playable character in like what we called like La La Land, which was mm. just this like, I like Candyland a lot, like a lot. Too much, yeah. maybe. I don't know. It's it's my brain's. That's what it looks like. My mind palace is a Candyland. I, I am right there with you. I have said Thank that you. to people. I'm like, mm, Candyland. Yes. That's the. And inside. so we'd be like, okay, <laughs> cotton candy clouds, and it's where are we going today? What's what's the adventure? And I kind of made that one of the settings of of facts, not my like one of the options you can play in. And I I pull a lot of like my my parents into my games, which like I'm sure we'll we'll cover on Midwestern Moms too. Um, even though my mom was not Midwestern, but the vibe, the vibe was yep. there. The vibe was there. Um, so I was Wait, like, so I, I like hearing that. I like hearing more people like try to, to GM and DM for, for kids. And like, I think that it gives them a lot of really good tools for yeah. growing up. Definitely. I think we missed a hyphenate in there where you're, you're, are you a German speaker as well? Yes. Uh, so I, I have a dual citizenship, German and American citizenship. Um, I'm, wow. I'm Mexican, uh, but my biological, uh, mom is German. So I have citizenship. Wow. So I went to school here. Uh, like I went to middle high school. We only have one. So I went to secondary school here. Uh, I did my bachelor's here. I worked at university in the States for a while. And then I, I'm back in Germany right now. Oh, you're in Germany. Well, yes. Oh, so it's late for you. Oh, no, it's fine. It's like 9 p.m. Oh, yeah. Easy peasy. Yeah. yeah, that's that's late. That's incredible. So, like, I love how language might also inform mm -hmm. a lot of what you're talking about too. Like, you know, the, mm -hmm. thinking of a pun in German was the thing. Was like, hmm? I know. Oh, I right. thought, so, I'm like, wow, your brain a, works. Such so, like, if you uh, like, you you could even actually specifically say like, oh, curses, which is like, oh, verfluchen. So to verfluchen is to curse something, but also like, um, you would say like verdammt for like, damn it. Um, so. Uh, Verhext means to uh, to curse or to enchant something, oh. but verdammt nochmal is like damn it. So verhext nochmal is like kind of curses, you know, pun. Many That's layers. Amazing. Many amazing. layers. Yeah, very German. <laughs> <laughs> I I love the idea. You said you like to design games for anyone to play for, but you know, for people who maybe don't think they like games, but don't very much. Don't you think people? People like games. Like everybody, everybody likes, games. likes games. Everybody and does. You gave a perfect example of when your parents would help you fall back asleep by like doing a role play exercise. Like even yep. you're gaming throughout your day, even without realizing that you're gaming. And people who I don't do like games, time, yeah. maybe they, they're watching game shows or they're, uh, they do trip bar trivia and they're still like, I don't like games. But what is, yeah. so if, if you're as a game designer... And obviously you're designing for many different audiences, but is there like a common, like, what's the hook for those mm -hmm. people? What is it? What does a game for non-gamers need to make a non-gamer mm -hmm. a gamer? Is I'm there so like happy with something? This is a good question. Okay, good. No, I always say, uh, if you've ever entertained a small child, you're a game designer, <laughs> period. It's always true. It's not easy to entertain a small child. No, Their attention spans a, a don't exist. They're a discerning audience as well. And they yeah. will tell you if you suck. Yeah. <laughs> to your face. Absolutely. Uh, yes. It's great. It's it's the most honest form of feedback. But uh, that's why I always tell people, like, if you can... I also had this uh, tagline. I have a show that hasn't come out yet. But the tagline is, if you can tell a story, you can create a game. You can design a game. 
Um, and I think that I, I spoke to so many game designers and then on Eat Crit, which has now split into two shows, Eat Crit, which is now just the interviews and Quick Start, which is the solo portion that used to belong to Eat Crit, where I, um, I opened a new indie game designed by a person of color, a marginalized creator, and I have never looked at it before. And the concept of the show is that I am looking at it for the first time live. I'm, oh, wow. It's always a micro one, so it's always less than five pages. Um, I'm immediately after going through it, I like talk about how accessible it is. Like, what does it need? Like one D six that's accessible, you know, AF, um, is it like crunchy? Is it not? And then I like, I look over it once in real time. I don't edit anything out. And then I start to give campaign ideas. I use the character creator. I GM it. And then I GM myself and, um, my little brain children of OCs that I come up with. So I, I'm all the players and I am the GM and I actually play the game with my like dice or virtual dice for a little bit to show people that like if I can look at this and off the top of my head come up with this story these characters using this little five page thing then you can also play and GM this immediately Mm. because this is all it takes and I think when I'm designing games I've kind of absorbed the hundreds of games that I've like covered now and I've kind of isolated them into like some base questions of like what is who who are you that's that is your playable character Um, what do you want? That's your win, like your win condition. Why can't you get there? Hmm. And how do you get there? And that ends up being your mechanics, uh, your win condition, your playable characters, their campaign. So the GM's role is fulfilled and like, why can't you get there? Um, and then that's, that's it. That's all it is. Those are like the only components. I have a show uh, that's currently in, in, you know how it is sometimes when things end up in uh, development purgatory, where you have yeah. to wait on, on other people to either like continue to green light or like release you from from development contract. But I have a show <laughs> that I created about that concept where I invite people on the show, either game designers or people who are in TTRPGs professionally but don't design games. And I in live on the camera in 20 minutes design a game with them using like a prompter that gives us the title, like a random title of like just some words, and using those questions. I guide them through that and in the first like it usually takes us less than 10 minutes to get the skeleton of the game. Then we take a little bit where I'm like furiously typing and like filling things out and then we play it. Right right then and there? Right then and there. I am kind of obsessed with that idea. You. I've been I obsessed with that. it for two years, which is when I started developing it. Shows take a really long time. Um, but yeah, it's like it's, Iron it's Chef, but the, uh, yeah. the uh, yes. you know, but TRPG collaborative. Side of things. I actually yeah. was inspired by reality TV and game shows Ugh. because, like, I, you know, I, I grew up watching uh, Project Runway a yes. lot. And I taught myself how to sew, I taught myself basics of fashion design because I watched it so obsessively. And I liked that it had prompts. And it was the same with that show. Uh, I don't know if you remember, it was on Sci Fi Face Off. It was about special yeah. effects makeup. Yeah. Yeah, I used that. to draw along to each prompt. And I learned about, like, what is silicone? Like, what is silicone versus latex? How do they behave differently? When I'm designing, like, a facial prosthetic, and what what element or what, like, material gives a different look? And so I kind of taught myself some more about that as well. So I would doodle along with Project Runway and I would doodle along with Face Off. And I kind of wanted the show to be something where people can get the prompt also with us as we do it. And maybe it inspires them to do something else. They have the same questions. They have the same time. They have more time. They're not on camera. And uh, part of it is also encouraging listeners and, and viewers, because it was a video show, um, to show me 
the mini games that they designed for that same prompt because I've had some similar prompts come up between it just happens with the generator and the games yeah. could not be more different for every designer that I've had on the show oh, even when I the prompts are similar even when it's the identical prompt you'll get yeah. a different thing right that's completely just the way it goes. different oh yeah yeah and everybody like, has signature mechanics that they have like in my games you'll find a lot of d6s because that's even if I make a game crunchier like even uh, my current game that I'm writing uh, is a sequel to I Spy, which was my biggest game that I've ever released. Um, the current game is called Tlaloc. It's the like the villain side of the game where you play all villains. Um, that um. current game file is 69 pages long. Nice. But it's still only D6s. <laughs> like like multiple D6s? Like, you know, this one, one has multiple, but I, I've simplified the mechanics a lot from, uh, from I Spy, which was a lot crunchier. But I try in, in a lot of my games is be like my default is like, okay, one D6. If you need more, you can roll it twice. Anybody has one. You can crack open grandma's Yahtzee and find a D6. It's fine. <laughs> you can go to the Dollar Tree, you can get a D6. Yep, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Do incredible. you think the uh the game design concept, like would that work with kids? Because I think that would be such so. a fun activity to do with kids that just Let's design a game. Honestly, that would be amazing. I I hadn't even thought about that, but I would really love to do that. Like, I would love to see that done with kids because Mm -hmm. I specifically made the questions super clear and simple. Who are you? What do you want? Why can't you have it? How do you get it? And that's it. And yeah. that's a that's a really great way, I think, to to guide kids in. Because if you ask a kid, okay, what are the mechanics? They're like, I don't know what you're saying. Yeah. That's why I don't say those words. I say that afterwards. I ask them the question, they answer it, and then I go. Those are our mechanics. Because I'm also talking, I'm having people on the show who have never designed a game before, even if they are professional GMs, which I still think that's pretty much game design because you're, a lot of times you're homebrewing a lot of mechanics. You're pretty much designing your own game within the game. I know as a GM that I have often, like people have asked me, like especially a big game system where I'm like, I do not know the stats of every weapon. I'm sorry, I am not an encyclopedia. I will be live on camera and have somebody be like, what's the role for this weapon? And I'll be like, Roll 4d6s, and I will tell you how I feel about your success. (laughs) That's my kind of DMing, yes. And they don't know the difference. It's fine. What's the difference really anyways? I would have interpreted the dice roll if if I knew the exact dice pool or this one, which I can interpret easier. So I I feel like I I talk with a lot of GMs. I talk with artists. I talked with uh, people who have never, like, written for a game supplement before. Like, and it's really important, I think, to keep that language really simple and then introduce the game-specific vocabulary to them. And with kids, you don't even have to really do that. They don't need to know its mechanics. They just need to know this is how they win the game. I've done that just with creating, like, yard games of, like, oh, yeah, right? Like, you know, this ball, Mm -hmm. if you get it over there, it's two points. If you get it over Mm -hmm. there, it's six points. Like, you know, they do that kind of naturally. They they do. That's what made me think of it is that they they are always making up a game. Even if they're playing a game that already has rules, they make up new rules for the game. But it's Mm -hmm. also, because I think about D&D and education and curriculum a lot because that's something I'm working on. Because D and D is such, I love it's such, it's such a good teacher. I love of all that. of these things, but this is such a fun exercise as well. Just thinking about all of the different subjects that would have to come into play, that they would have to be thinking about. Like you could walk mm-hmm. them through the entire process of game design. Even like, well, now that you have a game concept, now you have to work on your profit and loss. Like, is this game going to be profit? How many components are you going to put in here, and what are you going to sell it for? Like, there's so yep. many different lessons 
throughout the whole entire process. I've, I've, I've always thought like a, an ideal thing for me to have is, is I would like to have youth workshops Yeah, because there were not enough things for me when I was a kid. And I know there's more things now and God forbid they have the internet now, which is equal parts great and horrifying, but <laughs> more horrifying really than great sometimes. But I want there to be these creative things because there's also like where I grew up, there were sports clubs. There was nothing for me. I'm not a team sports person. I'm not a coordination person. And you don't want to give me anything heavy or projectile. It's not going to go well. <laughs> it's it's just never going to go well. I do really great. I, I was allowed to play basketball only to shoot three-pointers when nobody else is near me on the court. Okay, that's a good skill. But yeah. nobody. But as soon as it was like team, it was like sit on the bench. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. You are a hazard to everyone. I was like, I can't. I didn't have glasses on. I couldn't see anything. It was horrible. But there was very little like art stuff. There was like maybe fine art stuff, but there was nothing like for games. There was nothing for like creativity, for storytelling, um, and just writing your own stories by yourself. It doesn't have the same collaborative aspect. It's not right. as fun all the time. I mean, I love it. Still, it's still a big part of my job, but only because I know that what I'm writing is going to be used for people to collaborate with. Um, I've been really lucky, actually, so far that I have been able to see people and kids use my games. I have a game called Euphoria. Um, it's my first game jam that I ever did. I designed that game in less than two hours. It's um, Gender Envy Bingo Battleship is basically the premise. Um, right. I used it because I used it as a at the time it came from how I communicated my gender identity to my friends which was to create mood boards on PixArt or Pinterest <laughs> of people that gave me gender envy or gender euphoria. Oh. And I would share that with my friends and be like, I don't know what to call it, but that, I like mm. that. that. That's me. That's what it feels like. And it helped spark the conversation. It helped us figure me out better. It helped us have language and visuals that everybody could understand. Um, and so I was like, well, let's just make it a game because like, it's, it's also very fun when your friends know you very well and they can roast you. Um, <laughs> so sometimes, so I, the game is basically that you make, you decide from very specific things so that you're not just guessing in the dark. Um, like it's just like, okay, let's settle on. We're going to only take references from anime. We're going to only use these four shows that we both know. Secretly, we fill our board with the characters on the show that give us gender envy. And... We don't show them to anybody. And so now I have to guess, okay, like if we're talking about Death Note, like do you, this is a contentious one because my best friend <laughs> likes to bring up as this is the most heinous thing I've ever said to him before in his entire life is that I was out of guesses and I couldn't think of anyone. And I went, do you have, I mean, I'm not saying you do, but I'm saying if you did, I would respect, because I knew he was going to get mad. If you did, I would respect it. Do you have gender envy for light Yagami? <laughs> the microphone cut out because he started yelling. <laughs> you think I have checked for light yet? And I was like, I didn't think you did. I was just guessing. What's very fun is this happened on a recording that I still have that got sent to the University College London because they paid me after they discovered the game and the jam that they were hosting for their gender studies department. They were hosting the jam. They discovered the game and they liked it so much that they paid me to do test plays of it and to film it. And they use it in their department to study like communication wow. about gender, which is very flattering. And then a lot of teenagers and youths have, like, commented on the game page that, like, they've spent afternoons playing that together. I've had youth group leaders reach out to me and tell me that they use that game in their, like, Saturday groups. 
that like the kids will bust it out on their own. I've had youth group leaders that I know personally tell me that they didn't tell their kids about this game. Their kids had that game and they brought it because their DM was sick. And instead of playing like what they like, they couldn't play their D&D session, I guess, without their DM. So they were like, let's play gender. Let, like, let's play Euphoria. And then they <laughs> they got to have these like conversations, and I, I cried like a baby the first time like I saw yes. like somebody say like my 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 friends and I had an amazing afternoon. I like cried absolutely belligerently sobbing. Oh, that's adorable. Um, but that's the I've been very lucky. Forever Forty One also has been used in therapy. Uh, I've been told to help people safely explore anger and frustration. It's a really wow. angry game. I've been very lucky. Don't so I would love to see somebody use this this little system to help kids maybe get into game design, help teens to have a creative outlet. Anybody can make a game. I mean, I've said it enough times, I think. Um, I would love <laughs> to see you. something like that come out. I would too. Well, you can add another hyphen and you can be oh, a God. curriculum designer <laughs> because I think there's something there just that there's that it, mm-hmm. it's a, it's not your standard out of a book learning, which a lot of kids, mm-hmm. it doesn't work for them. So give them something that's fun and engaging and collaborative and immersive and like Yes, we're designing a game and now I'm learning how to market my game and now I'm learning how to make money off my game. And mm-hmm. who knows? Like at the end if, of if they the, figure that last part could, out, I would like to know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's I've gonna be very like, lucky. That's like that some of my games went level. viral, but it's it's a it's it's always tricky when you're indie. It's that yeah. AP budget too, right? But to you're like out, how do you make this profitable? You are cranking them out. These so we will definitely share your website you. link. Um Thank but you. I'm looking at, I was looking at the games yesterday and there was one I really want to talk about, which I think just mm-hmm. sounds right up my alley. Midwestern Moms. Uh, yes. I, the, the tagline drew me in, time for an adventure. Oh, you betcha. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually watched a bunch of Midwestern Mom mommy bloggers who do like TikToks so that I could get the voice in my head so that I knew wow. that so that I could like write it better. Smart. Because I, I I did not grow up in the Midwest. Um, I've been told that the way that I speak English, because I, I try to keep it pretty neutral because I have a lot of accents coming in and I've, I, I know that it's hard for people to understand. And I, I had that problem growing up. So I've neutralized it a lot, like Americanized and neutralized it a lot. Um, but I've been told that the closest that I could sound like is like, I don't know, vaguely Midwestern. And I was like, I'll take it. That's fine. <laughs> well, you understand me. That's that's cool. I like it. And then I, I really love that 70s show. I love Kitty. Yeah. I think she's my favorite oh, character yeah. in the whole show. Yeah. Yeah. That's adorable. I do. I love uh, that idea of Midwestern moms going on an adventure too. Uh, yes. Just. It's uh, actually a, right that was a crumb from a game that's not released yet that I started before that um, called Stuck in Space where one of the pre-generated characters, so it's like the year 3022 um and space travel is like so passe at this point that like it's it's kind of not cool to go anymore it's like actually cooler to stay on earth if you really knew it was why you would stay on the planet because like everybody can go to space um and so like amongst the playable character archetypes that you have because I I prefer to make archetypes rather than pregens because it still gives you the creative freedom to create a person but it gives you the structure if you're new because I found a lot of newbies bulk at, at how much they have to make from scratch. So I like to yeah. give people archetypes in my games instead of full characters. And they still come with stats, but you can choose like, hey, these two are suggestions. You can make your own. The only thing that matters is you need one plus two and one minus one. Everything else, I don't really care. I'm just telling you for this archetype, this is a suggestion. You can use your own. So like one of the archetypes was a Y3K baddie um, who's like hmm. obsessed with the year 3000. 
Um, and then we have a Midwestern mom, but in the year 3023. And like maybe with like if you wanted to play with a group of people that are all in that archetype, I said one of the quick starts for the game that I created, it's still not out, but hopefully we'll be out this or next year. Um, that you know, maybe you and a bunch of people are like a bunch of Midwestern moms who won the space cruise and oh, raffle, and that's why you're there. And so I initially was like, I just love them. I'd love to see somebody make like a make an AP or like play all that. And then I was like, or I could just make a game for just them. And I, I like to include love letters to my parents in like a, a lot of things that I do talk about them all the time. That's one of the reasons people like listening to me gab is that I like to tell stories about them because they were crazy. Um, <laughs> like they were, you know, the best, best kind of insane people, 14 cats, insane people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, my dad passed away last year and I was like, okay, I want to include some like love to to both of them because they also didn't really do the gender role thing. I mean, dad was the only person that ever cooked. My mom did not know how to sew. She knew how to braid, <laughs> but it was only because she knew how to make horse leads. And so my hair was braided like a horse lead. <laughs> but it works. That is, but it sounds awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's just the rope that from. you lead a horse around, but you know, you can oh. make it prettier if you get like a bunch of colors. She used to like let me and my friends like she would like hang it on the tree and show us how to braid like a very simple three thing braid. Nice. And then we would pick like colors that we liked and we would make horse leads. And then she would she would do the fire part where you burn the the polyester together so that it doesn't come unraveled. Mm, and gotcha. you put a little carabiner and then like, boom, you've got a horse lead. Um, so I, I wanted to I, I just kind of ran with the concept from Midwestern Moms and I just raced through it and made these like very loving archetypes. And I like specifically include in the beginning that like these women are and not even just women. I was like Midwestern mom doesn't have to be gender term um, yeah. are never the butt of the joke. They're like this like beautiful like source of like parental love that like has its own like flaws. They're their own people, but they really just love their family like a lot. And they would do anything, including which my mom also did brave hot topic in the 2000s I for their teenager. In the description. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The vampire store. That's where I used to yeah. find that place. I she loved it. It's where they go to shop. The vampires? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where they get their stuff. Yeah. I didn't mm-hmm. want to go in, actually. Oh, she really? just knew that I would like it. And I was like, we don't have to go. I was already like, I don't know why we're at the mall. You don't like the mall. And she was like, yeah, but you like the mall. And I was like, but it's okay. I can go to the mall. You don't have to go to the mall with me. And she was like, no, I want to see what you like. You like that store, right? And I was like, ah. <laughs> and then she she walked in Hot Topic. For reference, at this point, I was like 12 turning 13, permanent embarrassment age. Right. And then I really liked Hot Topic, but I, I was too shy to wear some of the clothes yet. Um, and then very not shy suddenly when it came to wearing a piano belt and Avril Lavigne style like fake print T-shirt that had like a tie printed. I was horrible. Um, I had a fedora. I had an Ed Hardy knockoff fedora. Whoa. I'm just yeah. a whole look. All I'll of these items later, were boy. worn together, by the way. This is an outfit I'm yeah, describing. This is <laughs> you cannot separate the set. And like she would she she raced in there. She I think she was if I was that old. Then she was about 60 years old and so i'm adopted so she's a 60 year old english lady <laughs> rushing into a hot topic in the middle of nowhere central texas wow and um and she loved it and she bought us something i actually have it it's like behind the computer she bought us two matching buttons from the fishbowl they used to have at the cash register yeah. um and it says it's not a bad mood it's my personality deal with it oh wow and she was like look it's us and she like bought them <laughs> Oh my 
goodness. And that, I was like, I have to immortalize this. Yes. It's like you sent her off on like her own little dungeon crawl. Like she's like, I'm oh, going absolutely. in. I'm going in. And she came out with the treasure. She did. Um, oh. I can only hope that my son one day describes his father and I as the best kind of crazy, the best kind of insanity. <laughs> they were, I, I love everything that you're saying about what your parents did for you and how they raised you. Clearly they did a wonderful job. So thank you. I'm sure they'd be very happy to hear that. (laughs) They referred to me as crazy on a regular basis. And I grew up being like, yes, that is the highest compliment that a person can receive. It's being called absolutely bonkers. That's great. So I feel, I feel like I've lived up to it very well, but yeah, that's uh, the, the game is uh, very beloved and it comes with a streaming kit. Like all my games do, which is actually really important to me because um, I wanted to remove the barriers that a lot of starting – like because I've been doing graphic design because it's my passion um, since I was 14, you know, as you do when you have a Tumblr blog and you're on RPG forums and you need to make signatures for your, for your little play pretend characters. Um, and I had bootleg Photoshop from this graphic design student that was also in the forum who like gave everybody bootleg Photoshop. Um, sorry, Photoshop. I, I pay for things now. Um, I use camera now, but it's the same thing. Um, and, um, I, so I, I taught myself that and I had it, I learned a lot about it growing up, but not everybody did. And I, yeah. I didn't want not knowing how to make, do graphic design. Cause even if you do learn it, it's still something you have to have an eye for. It's not something everybody can do. Yeah. I didn't want yeah. that to be the reason that people can't make an AP for themselves, but I also didn't want it. And like, it's expensive. My, like, I mean, my graphic design fee is also expensive for a reason, um, I mean, it's still relatively okay, but for for a private person to drop what like six fifty minimum on a couple like overlays is not something everybody can just do. It's something I can't do. That's why I have to do it myself. Um, so like, I didn't want that to be the reason they couldn't do it. And also, I thought it would be a cool modern type of home video because you can record on Zoom with your friends. We're in a pandemic. You know, you can you can record on Zoom. You can, you know, if somebody knows how to edit, if somebody has a college son who knows how to use the computer, then somebody knows how to edit it together. And I thought, you know, putting it in this nice little frame would actually be a cute memento to have if somebody wasn't ready to to stream publicly. You know, however they use it, it's up to them. I just I just create the streaming kits and I leave them blank and I send them into the world. But I always really cool. uh, include them in That's my such in my a games. Good idea. That is I love such that a good idea, of, idea of recording your game, especially right with if you're doing Zoom anyway. Why not have a a record of what is happening and have it be looking thematic for the game using the graphic design tools that you're giving there? That's that's fantastic. I want to ask a little bit because this is something that I've run into playing um, the type of story games that you're describing versus a Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like a, right. something that's, you know, got a lot of thing. What I love about Dungeons and Dragons can sometimes be the simulation nature, the idea that there is a living, breathing world that's outside of what the players are experiencing, right? And then when I've played story games in the past, I've sometimes just been like, well, this just seems really arbitrary. Like, <laughs> it's just what we decide at the table and mm-hmm. it can be fun. It's I've had a lot of fun playing those games, but it doesn't have that for me. It doesn't have that long lasting, like I am inside this fantasy world for mm-hmm. the few hours during a, the world a, a building. session. Yeah, and so I'd love to hear your thoughts because you definitely have roots in both, right? You've played long mm-hmm. form campaigns in, in Dungeons and Dragons. You've done these these you know kind of smaller um, uh, story games too. So like, how do you? Well, a where do you fit on that on that? spectrum and you know how do you let people from either side kind of see the other side 
um, I kind of cheat because okay. I, I have it in both. Um, I include a lot of world building questions for the GM especially, but they're in the game book. Anybody can read them uh, in most of my games. Like in Fahex Nochmal, it like, for example, like there's the Candyland-ish setting that I like explain. But I, so I kind of draw out this world and I sketch out the settings. I also include quick starts a lot. And in my quick starts, there's some background information to how the world works. And then there is a lot of flavor text. That's why none of my games can count as micro TTRPGs because even the pretty PDF is usually like, it's like 10 to 80 pages. Um, And it's (laughs) a lot of that is also world building stuff. Um, Or it'll be questions of like, before you guys start playing, who are you? Where do you guys live? So in fact, Nahmal, you play as a magical familiar's cat. Like you're the cat. You are not the witch. You are the witch's cat. You do still have to create your witch because it's part of how you do it. And I do a lot of, you know how in, in Dungeons and Dragons, the jam will like, you know, they, they, they set the scene. And then I did take this from D&D. I did take this from my initial experiences with TTRPG, which was in, originally in D&D. Um, uh, my initial experience and like kind of a formula I've noticed is that your dungeon master will kind of, explain a little bit of the world to you to you or to the listener and then everybody has a little montage of where they are this morning when you guys you know in especially in the initial session when you guys all meet or when you meet up at the tavern and you begin your quest you have the every character has their morning montage and i make that a part of all of my games all of my games start with a montage of like how did your morning start who are you? What was it like? Where were you last night? Are you tired this morning because of what you did last night? Are you a sun cat? So do you wake up with the sun? Are you like if you're playing the lunar cat one, like are you just now falling asleep and whatever chaos is happening to start the story woke you up? Um, if you're like a chaos witch like cat, like did you wake up with one of your whiskers in the wrong dimension? Like which is, I don't know, your version of <laughs> waking up on the wrong foot of the bed. Like what does that look like for you? And what's your witch doing? What does her house look like? And then in the beginning, before you even start playing, there's questions of like, do you guys, like, does your coven live in like this La La Land? What does it look like? Where do they live? Do you guys live in different areas? What does it look like? What's your relationship to that place? Then I have like questions of like, or do you live in a brownstone? Like, a la like living single. Like, are you guys like split up in (laughs) between these two and you meet in the, in the stairwell? Do you have to hide your magic? Do you not? Um, and then I, like, I have like several like options and then the streaming kits also reflect if you're in a brownstone or if you're like in the woods or if you're like just using the like pinkness of the, of the actual game book. And so I, I have these world building questions integrated into the GM portion. I include GM's notes in all of my mini games of like, Hey GM, here's some backstory to this world that I've created. Here's some, some secret info you can or can't use if you, if you, whatever you want for like these villains that I created. Um, but I leave it open because it's just an indie game. Um, it doesn't have the huge canon that D&D does um, where I'm just like, these are just my ideas. You can bounce off them. You can change them. You can come up with your own thing. If you feel inspired by the villain I created to create your own, by all means do it. I did find you have to be explicit in these like indie games, especially because D&D is such a such a canon. Everybody knows from pop culture, even without playing kind of the GM role, like the DM role, kind of like, what do you need? Like they have a kind of idea of what it can look like. But with indie games, a lot of people, especially if they're new or new to indie games, they don't have anything to refer back to. This is an entirely new game and new universe. You know, that's where people like, I think have trouble getting into it is because they're like, I have no, no understanding for this. So I, I, I incorporate world building into their GM prep. I incorporate world building into the character design that everybody has to do. So everybody gets little world building questions and like prompts. 
Um, sometimes I even put them in the character sheet if I include a character sheet. Like for I Spy, it has like desires, dislikes. These are not stat relevant, but I want to know them. Your GM might want to know them. You can have like you can create NPCs. It prompts you to create an NPC antagonist or nemesis if you want to. You don't have to. You can ask the GM to do it for you. I put all of that in there, though, because I've found if you don't explicitly tell people that they can diverge from this, like, slice of canon you give them in an indie game, they won't do it because they don't think they're allowed to. Yeah. Which I think is something a lot of people still need to unlearn when it comes mm-hmm. to, like, being creative. But it's something that I'm just like, okay, well, it's no, it's no, like, it's no skin off my back. I can give you permission. Here is my permission. Do with this game as you will. I just gave you the framework and the mechanics. If you want to create your entirely own setting for your witch cats, I don't care. I don't care. I put that in all my games. I'm like, I don't care. Do what you want. Have fun. Use my stuff. Change my stuff. That's like the hallmark of a really, a really good game designer. I think is that, that it's just, it's here for you to play with. It's here for you to have fun. And that's what I hear a lot from uh, the, from really good game designers that this is just a framework collaborative storytelling you know we talk about it as players and the gm but also it's collaboration like with dungeons dragons it's a collaboration between us and wizards the canon they give us almost nobody i know plays strictly off of the book i do not know anybody who hasn't homebrewed at least a little the two gms that that i've learned everything from are lexi at black girl mage and connie chang by connie chang I, I like just I got to interview both of them. It's actually how I met them um, and like became friends with them. I adore them. And I saw them like entirely homebrew in totally different ways. Um, Lexi actually took me on something that hasn't come out yet. Um, that was a tavern based thing kind of based off of Bob's Burgers <laughs> where we were all members of this tavern. I was a little kobold. I did a little voice and everything because I'm also a voice actor. Um, signed with the Jackson voiceover agency and um, just so a many happy thank you to them yes. for, for being so nice to me. Um, and uh, that was like a concept that is so core D and D like the tavern, the adventurers tavern that I never imagined that it would be something that not only would feel natural and accessible to me and like all of my identities, but like it was fun. It was extremely funny I had the proudest moment of my player career where I stumped my GM um, because I had a reaction that was so out of pocket that Lexi was like, I don't know what to do right now. Wow. (laughs) This never happened before. I was like, it's never happened to me either. I don't know what to do. I think what happened is that I accidentally, um, I went to go steal someone's wallet and I failed really badly and instead had to pretend to grab their butt. Or their patoot. Yes. (laughs) And just did it. And we were like, well, we have to live with this now. And then I was supposed to play it off, and I rolled that badly too. And I was like, I don't know, <laughs> get out of this. I'm stuck. I'm just grabbing butts in the in the tavern. I'm sorry. It turned into a whole group session of his friends being like, "We have noticed you working out a lot. We do notice you getting toned." And him being like, "Really? It means a lot to me." And I was like, "What is happening? <laughs> I was trying to steal his wallet. Why am I in this therapy session with them?" Um, and so like, but it just goes to show that like the right, you know, like a creative DM is collaborating with their players, but also with the canon. And so when I'm creating my own systems, my own worlds and my own games, I'm like, I'm just giving you toys. I'm just giving you Barbies and some outfits and they have a theme. Yep. It can be ironic. You can use the theme however you want. I don't care. I'm just giving you Barbies. We're just playing Barbies. That's match. all we're doing. You can yeah. make the, the Barbie smash together. Do whatever you want. <laughs> Barbie and G.I. Joe's, whatever. 
Yeah, it happens. Um, I love what you said about asking the players questions like, what did you do last night? How do you feel this morning? What? Because that's yeah. with new players, especially and, and a lot with the kids, like they aren't even though like they're natural role players, it was hard for, I think like some of them were embarrassed. Like, yeah. I don't know if I'm supposed Adults to Adults get embarrassed a lot too. Adults do it too. Totally. But I found like they were like slow to embody their character to like take on the role. So mm-hmm. I think, start, I love the idea of starting each session. It's kind of, it's like a warm up to, yeah. a, to a workout is, you know, just, hey, we're just going to go around the room. You're going to tell me what you did this morning as you're, and like, and then just prompt them with, questions they answer back it helps them get in the mindset but it also like warms them up to the idea of like oh this is me this is who mm-hmm. i'm playing for the next 90 minutes i think they have a, a whole life and a whole yeah. world that they exist in world building is one of my favorite gigs to get as a writer um quick starts are my favorite thing to get because i just like to i get to give you a whole world to play in in a little compact package and just shoot it off into the void it's one of my favorite things to write adventures or to write quick starts because um, you get to do world building, but it's open. So it's it's like I got to create a little mini game and a little mini adventure um, just just for you to start messing with on your own still. So you get some world building, but you also get to like explore on your own. And I think it's I think it's a really uh, nice balance between yeah. having a, a full canon and like having very little. I, I personally don't. Um, have a problem with games that have very little because I will make up stories for anything. My friends uh, and I call the way that I play Stardew Valley um, is we call it. I play the real housewives of Stardew Valley mm-hmm. um, my because language. I have I have always added narrative where there was none. I added narrative when I played Animal Crossing in 2001 when it first came out and I was six, which is the first like video game franchise that I fell in love with. And I've played every Animal Crossing since then um, very proudly. And I, I come up with beef between me and I will like read into every tiny bit of interaction because in Stardew you don't get to talk. In Animal Crossing you don't get to talk most of the time. And I was just like, no, I have a, I have a day plan. I got up in the morning. I changed my characters' outfits in Animal Crossing for their tasks even though it doesn't matter. Like if I'm caught in the rain and I'm in a sweater, oh no, I'm all wet. I need to go visit my friend. I need to get inside. I need to get dry. Like I just added all of these stakes to these games that have no stakes, it's fine. You can't get a cold. You can't get sick in Animal Crossing. But I was like, no, I'm going to get sick. My hair's all wet. So I'd be yeah. like, who is open? And then sometimes all of these characters and the villagers are out of their houses. And I'd be like, oh, no, I'm I'm knocking on doors in the rain and nobody's opening. And it's just like, if you zoomed out of my head, you'd see like my character run up, doors closed, run up, call me, call, no, no <laughs> word is spoken. No expression is made. Yeah, yeah but you've made the it's story. Is it closed? But in my head, I'm like, oh my god, I'm soaked. I'm running through the rain, and nobody's Where is everybody? home. Yeah, and it's like I have to spend a certain amount of time in the store. Like if I run to the store, I have to stay there now. I'm going to see if I can wait out the rain. I'm going to dry off a little bit. And it's just like who I just knows who you'll meet. Add stuff. So I, I've never needed to have a lot of world building because I think I've always done that naturally in my head. Yeah. Um, I used to play pretend by myself a lot as a child, and I think it shows. it makes you have a good imagination yeah my daughter did not like the duck character in the latest animal crossing because he he used the like bucko or something like that as a uh as like the term of endearment and he's like i don't like that this this duck he's on it yeah i don't like i don't want him i get him out of here let's kick him out and then we had like a family voting session to kick him off the island just because he used uh, a term that she didn't like 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, we only different. have a couple of minutes, but so I definitely mm-hmm. want to talk about what you said earlier about um, mm-hmm. coming up with budgets for uh, actual play spaces. I feel like that, in your experience there, is something that a lot of our listeners uh, would probably benefit from hearing even just a little mm-hmm. bit about, like, how do you do that? How do you make sure that mm-hmm. uh, the projects that you're working on uh, break even, right. at least? Right. Um, so I do different, like, budget outlines for different levels of compensation. So I do, like, what is my bare minimum dignity? I can go to bed at night and not be like, oh, my God, I'm not paying people enough, you know, for their time. What is my bare minimum there? And my bare minimum is quite healthy. Um, I used to work uh, a lot with different like, companies that would do sponsorships up front um, and they would fund production. And so I took my initial rates from that. So uh, that is like the median. That's what I've said as the ideal. So like I try to keep everybody from never going under $20 an hour. Um, but I do also very transparently say that a lot of my budgets that I'll show are when I am the producer and I do a lot of unpaid work because yeah. even in television, that is an inevitable part of producing because you have to, you can't, you can try to ballpark when you're getting paid from someone, you can have, you have to get very comfortable with the concept of billable hours and not billable hours. And I try to make the budgets so very clear as much billable hours as possible. But I also include ranges of like, what is the minimum amount of billable hours where I'm doing this work? And it is very possible that I need three or four more, like not necessarily consecutive, but cumulative hours worth of time of going back and forth between this tech producer. I have to go back and forth between this actor and this actor. And we have to recast. I have to do another session zero that I didn't count on. I have to onboard a new team member. I have to meet with like the artists. Like if we have artists, I have to go back to my my exec producer or my project manager, like anybody who's funding me. I need to do the payroll. I need to collect this information from people. That all like comes together. And instead of being like, I'm going to stop and start a timer every time, which I think a lot of people's instinct is kind of be like, how much time exactly did I do? It's like, no, this is where billable hours come in. You're going to ballpark how many hours you think total you spend on communications. And that is how you get your communications number. Then if you are aiming for like very low or, for example, if you're crowdfunding and you don't think you have a a very like big audience that has the money to spend on you, you might want to keep it low. And I make sure that nobody is like if we have to really go low, then everybody's getting $20 an hour. Everybody. Nobody is going to get paid first of all i'm never getting paid like more than everybody else if we're all at our minimum then we are all at our minimum i'm often also the first person to dock my own wages if it's my own project and i'm like it's my own show that i want to do then i'm like that's just a burden that's like a bullet i have to bite if i'm getting paid to produce a show for somebody else um i don't dock my pay before other people's i keep everybody at the same level um, I often put uh, GMing if I can, like in the median rate, GMing $75 an hour. Um, I include tech in all of the safety discussions, which also means that if you're paying people for the session zero, you have to pay tech to be there. And my my safety guidelines are very strict. If anybody red cards or X cards, we take a mandatory 15-minute break. I don't care if we're live. We're going to take a mandatory 15-minute break. Everybody's going to step away from the camera and the GM and or I, the showrunner, We'll talk to and like check in with the person who carded. We'll make sure everybody is good going forward. We have a new direction. Everybody feels heard and safe. And then we've all had a breather. We've all talked. We're all good. Then we can continue. Um, That is just something that like might end up costing us an extra 15 minutes if you um, like end up going over your time because you had to redirect and you have to rebuild something. That's just something you have to kind of have a cushion for if you can. Yeah. 
Um, but also my model, my, my, my motto is if you can't walk away from this table or like mute us while this is going on, like your audience member can, then you, we need your lines and nails also. So like tech often gets left out of oh, a lot of things that are paid oh, and they often get yep. left out of the lines and veils and safety things, but they actually more than anybody at the table can't leave and they can't turn us off and they can't stop listening to us. So I think it's really important that they get in, like pulled into that stuff, right? Even at the financial level of like, if I'm paying people for the session zero, then at like $20 to be here at the session zero, but I usually don't do that more than $20 cause it's, it's just a session zero. It's not the same as being live. So like if, if like per live performer, I'm like $50 an hour, um, then Session zero is still $20 an hour. And tech, who's also going to be there at the session zero, also gets paid $20 an hour because I need them actively participating in the safety toolkit. And they actually have a lot of information to get from the players and like for the overlays if they need to do anything there. I'm often the overlay designer, which the graphic designer for a show is not the same as the tech producer. They're often lumped together, but they're different jobs. The tech producers are just really nice and they do them also. But it is technically a separate job that you get paid separately, but it doesn't usually. Totally. So I have a lot of transparency about all of the different roles that actually come together and how much money like they end up accumulating. And I usually I have like a little key. Yeah, it really is. That's that's what I tell people too. It's like there's no shame if you can't pay. You just have right. to if you're not gonna pay, you can't pay anyone. Because I've been on shows where I've had that moment of like, you guys are getting paid and I was oh, not no. getting paid. And that's that cool. cannot happen. That's that's no. unacceptable. Especially well, when it's like, like bigger disrespect. name companies. It's yeah. And then sometimes you'll find out, oh, we're all getting paid the same, except this one person's getting paid four hundred dollars more. Why? That's not that's not right. So I think wage transparency is really important. I encourage everybody yeah. to talk openly about it. I share all of my budget plans as they come out. There's a, I think for one dollar on Kofi, you can like download one of my model like budget plans that I've put up that scales exactly oh, what job, how many hours for oh, like this rate, this super rate, and this helpful. rate. That yes, a lot of people have downloaded that. I think it might even be pay what you can, but a dollar if you're if you can, if you wanna. Um, and then I do repeat streams a lot on Twitch. I've streamed the same thing eight thousand times. Every time I work on a new game, I will often stream for at least two or three hours of screen sharing my Canva and like writing the writing process and the design process. Oh, I show cool. people how to do streaming kits all the time. I do the same stream over and over. People do not seem to care. They just like watching it. Um, it's new games every <laughs> it's because time. because of the talking and the, yeah. and, the uh, uh, and they miss the, it sometimes the, stories that you the tell. first time. You know? Yeah. And so, and then I For do sure. the same with the budget thing. I, I've done the budget stream twice, I think. Um, mm. I'll definitely do it again this year where I just show people like, okay, this is one of my projects that we're doing. One of the next ones that I'll probably do it for is Barbie's Murder Mystery Dreamhouse. Actually, it's spelled Barb with an E at the end because I don't want Mattel snipers to shoot me. Um, but Barbie's Murder Mystery Dreamhouse um, is a show that I've been writing for, I think, like six, seven months now or, or longer probably since the announcement of the movie came out, really. Um, and I have, like, and I watched Glass Onion as well, and I was just like, these things are coming together in my head. So I have the streaming together. kit for that. Yeah. What I would probably do is share with people how I would like to fund it and how I do the budget for that. So I think transparency is the key. I have a minimum set that I do not go under. Um, if I cannot go, if if I cannot afford to give everybody twenty dollars for it, if I can't raise money or I can't get sponsored enough to get everybody twenty dollars for, like at least being on screen, even if that means I have to tech produce or not tech produce, I don't do that really. Mm -hmm. But if I have to produce everything and show run by myself unpaid, if it gets my vision out there, that's like what I'm willing to swallow. So I think it's also important to know like what are you willing to swallow in costs that you have to take on yourself. What how much time yeah. can you donate to the project? And really see it as donated time because it's worth a lot of money. Um, most of the APs, if I were being, if I were being genuinely decent 
and pay like paying myself or like budgeting myself a livable wage, um, I would be making off of like a four episode thing. And I keep them short. That's very key. I do not have six hour sessions. I have three hour caps max on each of my episodes. Also for consumer purposes. Um, usually I'd like to keep them to an hour and a half, which also like but cuts down the budget as well. But like if we're doing four two hour episodes, um, producing the entire thing uh, can cost about like six grand. Should cost about like six grand. Um, yeah. which is not something people like to hear. And obviously, like when you look at APs, that's not what they're making, but that's because they're swallowing six grand's worth of right. time and, and oh, effort. effort. Yeah, exactly. But it's important to know that as well when you're consuming it. A wealth of info. I know, right? Like, so and there good. are so many more resources <laughs> out there that you are doing. Uh, where, I mean, all the those streams that you were just talking about are going to be wonderful if you haven't already checked them out where can people find that as well as all the games that we were talking about your live streams what's give us the deets right uh so you can always find me on twitter at the cutest patoot um and i i live there unfortunately it's it's just where i'm most active but i also have a website called brandyrose.co sorry brandyrose.carrd so card uh, with two R's, .co, that has everything on it. But if you really want specifics, it's cutestpatoot.itch.io. That's the game page. Um, you can always contact me on Twitter. I never turn my DMs off because I have a lot of like uh, people write in for different podcasts asking for advice or for things, so I keep them open. Um, may that bite me in the butt or not? I do not know. I hope not. Um, <laughs> it's been it's been okay mostly so far. Um, but the Twitter is there. At Brandy Rose Official is the Instagram. And on Twitch, it's twitch.tv slash cutest patoot currently i have two set streams going up where on mondays i play this hurts me to say and it's gonna hurt you guys to hear vintage game boy advance games love it all hurts right. me to say but they are vintage because every game i'm playing is 20 years old um they're all of my games they're um i have this yeah. giant uh chocolate tin that i have filled with with games these are all oh. game boy advance games from when i was a kid and we play them oh. and I, I have a secondary camera rigged on a flower vase to point at my desk um, to that's share awesome. the screen of my of my DS. Um, so that's Mondays it. and that's... Thursdays. Uh, we work through uh, an art book because my mom was an artist and uh, she left me an instructional book uh, that's supposed to make you a better artist. We shall see. We're still in the pre-instructional exercises, but we do one of the exercises every week on Thursdays. We chill and then we do we do more stuff. So then uh, that's where all the streams will be. That's you're awesome. the best. You are very generous with all of your thank knowledge. You, you. Very appreciated. Cutest Patoot, thank you so much. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much. So many hyphens, so many hats does the Cutest Patoot wear. It is so incredible. We barely scratched the surface. So <laughs> I'm probably going to see a part two somewhere down the line. Calling it now. We barely back-scratched the surface. Oh, gosh. There is a running theme here. Totally missed it. Thankfully, you're on top of it. I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, So look at everything that the cutest patoot is doing from the game design to producing to podcasting to uh, running AP uh, actual plays of T&D stuff out there with many people that you know and love uh, that we have been former guests here on Dragon Talk. Yeah. And just so, so generous with the knowledge sharing as well. That's, you know, also not just a hallmark of a great game designer, but a hallmark of this D&D community because that is what you all do. You're just yeah. 
info sharing and sharing inspiration and ideas and lifting each other up. So if we haven't said it lately, we love you guys. Lift all of us up. Yeah. Um, you can do that by giving some reviews of Dragon Talk to the platforms that you listen to us on, be it Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get this finely made podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And spread the word on social as we have begun to do even more so beyond our channels and our guests um, so that even more folks can get inspired and uh, receive inspiration during their games. Inspiration granted. Done. I think you should all be following D&D Beyond on the socials as well as the Dungeons and Dragons official accounts. But if you want to find out about what me personally, Greg Tito, is doing, you can go to gregtito.com. I have a lot of stuff up there and continue to uh, chase Shelly on the amount of content that she has on her website. Um, but you can follow me on the Twitters as well as Mastodon and Blue Sky. I'm currently on there as well, uh, all under Greg Tito and Instagram. What about wow. you, Shelly? I'm at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. You can go to my website, ShellyMazanoble.com. I'm working on a newsletter, a Substack. I don't know why I'm obsessed with Substack. I think because I subscribe to a lot of them, like it just seems easy and cool. And I, I'm gonna tell you hopefully soon. I'm gonna ask you all to just sign up for it just to see if it works. You can totally cancel your subscription at any time, but coming soon, I guess. Ooh, I like that. Once yeah. you say it publicly, that means you have to follow through. So there is your your deadline that you've made for yourself. Yes, I haven't defined soon. <laughs> but it's coming soon. We'll just say that. that. I will leave that definition up to you. Yeah. Uh, in your dungeon yeah, master brain. A little brain. ambiguous. A little bit. Love it. Go uh, sign up for that newsletter as soon as it becomes available because I'm going to get all my news from the Substack. Oh, that would all be nice. All my bachelorette news, all of my it's gonna um, be a little bit of selling sunset news. It might be a little bit of that, but it's probably also going to be some D&D. So, Excellent. You know, I don't know, because I also haven't mentioned this in a while, but I'm a dungeon master. You are a dungeon master. I am a dungeon master, and I can can share some d- dungeon mastery types of things. So look for that, too. Lifting people up. Um, I would also just like to shout out that for anyone who is in the education space, that we now do offer a wonderful D&D Beyond Educator license. So... If you have a D&D club, if you are a part of an organization like an enrichment organization or a school or a library, then you may go and um, apply for a D&D educator license, which will grant you access to tools like the Character Builder, as well as the D&D core rule books and some additional books like uh, an adventure content like Dragons of Stormwreck Isle, Dragons of Icefire Peak, Candlekeep Mysteries even, just so you have lots of content at no cost for you to use in your club. So it is, it's there. It's there for the taking. We want to help support you and your clubs. And we know that people love to use the character builder and, we, and it'll be easy for you to manage your campaigns, to house all those characters in one place. Um, go to dnd.wizards.com slash resources slash educators. I know it's not an easy URL to remember, but just rewind that part a couple of times and you'll get it. You can also find out how to download our newest 
uh, batch of school curriculum. Don't let that those words scare you. It, they're just fun D&D activities, but they actually do teach things. They're all standards-based. So if you are actually a teacher, they are actually, they can work in your classroom. They will meet your standards if you are in the U.S. If you're not, or if you just have kids that want to do some cool D&D activities, download them. Go, just have fun with them. They're also available at no cost for you as well. I love that you don't have to be a teacher in order to get access to these same tools, right? Like there's yes. so many things out there uh, that, you know, you got to be an educator, quote unquote, but like, here you go. Like these are activities that anybody can do and they're um, fun. They're fun. They're and fun. if you are a dungeon master for kids, even I, the one that's up there now, our newest batch of curriculum is puzzles, mazes, and mysteries. And I used some of those puzzles in my D and D class. Nice. So, uh, cause I am not skilled enough to create my own. So why don't reinvent stuff? Just use what's already out there. And yeah. that there's a DM tip for you. That's the kind of stuff you can expect from my newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> Beg, first, borrow and steal the first your one's resources. Free. Well, yeah. actually they're, they'll all be free, but whatever. Um, so yeah, <laughs> go, go download the stuff. Go, just go check it out. I dig it. I'm downloading it right now in my brain. I still have old fashion internet because of the dial-up nature of how fast <laughs> we are moving uh let us transition right to what's going on with drunky two shoes and the eternal search for daryl i shoes. am so i've been thinking about this all week and i'm i'm angry ah, he's just out <laughs> here doing shows <laughs> He is in this huge uh, plaza arena. There are thousands of people uh, all wearing um, wonderful draped robes and, and, and uh, uh, colorful things, just cheering as this performance uh, concludes. It was a, uh, a feat that you were able to see Daryl do, something you've never seen uh, him uh, perform before. It was like half dance, half parkour, half you know, feet of athleticism on the rings. There was aerial movements. It was something that you've never seen your brother even come yeah. close to doing uh, before. And the crowd is going absolutely crazy. They are clapping. They are cheering. They're wooting. Um, what? How? How do you react to this? You said you're angry. What? What are your? What's your vocal reaction? Uh, I just can I get down the aisle to the stage. No, so this is almost like a like a. Uh, um, I mean, you can you can try to push through, but there's no aisles or uh, designated walkways. It's a uh, general admission, so there's, everybody's kind of packed in together, uh, and you're about 200 feet away from the stage. Am I 200 yeah. feet? I got to get a little closer. I'm gonna grab Jonathan by the paw, and I'm just gonna just get everyone and come follow me, and we just start pushing through the crowd. Okay. Um, make me a uh, either a strength check or an acrobatics check as you're trying to get through people. Are you trying to like push through, um, or are you do you know bobbing and weaving? Um, I'm probably just pushing because I'm. You're pushing. Just right. not. I'm so angry. Make me a strength athletics check. Seven. Seven. Uh, yes. Okay. So. Uh, <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, you, um, there were a, a group of uh, small children in front of you, and so oh, you were able to kind of barrel through them. Um, you know, you're not hurting any of them, but you definitely have a little bit of an advantage to be able to get through, and you start moving forward. The crowd is still cheering, uh, and it's amazing, but as, it, as that starts to dissipate, uh, you know, you see your brother Daryl Two-Shoes, like, taking his bows. Um, as the crowd kind of noise kind of goes uh, down, you hear a sound that is not crowd noise. It sounds a little bit like thunder. Do I feel any movement? Behind the stage where the, you know, the, the, the rivers of uh, Sagarpur have been flowing uh, behind there, you see a huge swell of water rise from this river. It is starts off just being like a mound. You're like, oh, that's weird, whatever, I'm pushing through. And it gets bigger and bigger. It is a uh, hundred feet towering over this group. And the crowd starts to turn from cheers to cries of horror. And oh, everyone shit. starts moving away from this huge wave as it <laughs> crashes down upon directly where Daryl was performing and all of the water deluge all around. I, I can't do anything? Yeah. What do you choose to do? Uh, the water is crashing down. You see it. You see it about to crash. You can try to do something before if you need to. Can I cast Chill Touch and try to freeze it before it lands? Uh, chill Touch is a touch spell. So you, it's a, before it hits you, you want to try and turn uh, water that's coming at you extremely fast into a hard solid. Is that just making sure that's what you want to do? Yes, I want to freeze it so it's just before it lands anywhere. Again, Chill Touch is just like an attack spell that you can do. Yes, uh, it's, but it says it's 120 feet of a range. Oh, it's a ranged touch spell? Yeah, it's a okay. skeletal hand that's going to come out. Okay. Um, I attack the wave. <laughs> yeah, so you go ahead and uh, uh, cast Chill Touch, and you see the it create a little bit of uh, ice uh, out of uh, the wave, but then that actually continues. It's, this is a, you know, thousands and thousands of gallons of water, uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of water, like, coming down. So the amount of water that you're able to freeze is just, like, a small block with that spell. And it comes crashing down and actually... Um, yeah, that's not... You're going to need to dodge out of the way of that block as it's coming down towards you. So make me a dexterity saving throw. So I could potentially just hurt myself with my own yes. spell right here? Okay. A 19. I am super nimble. New and 19. Okay, so you get out of the way of that, but the rest of the water flows all over you and bludgeons you. It's like it's like being caught in a huge uh, tidal wave. It's scary. Um, it is extremely scary. Everybody is screaming around you. Uh, your friends are still next to you. Make me a strength saving throw next as that what amount of water hits you. crap is happening? Uh-oh, a six. A six. So you take... Uh, I am going to say you take uh, nine bludgeoning damage uh, as the water slaps you in the face. <laughs> Everything is soaking wet. And there's water like flowing out of the, the plaza, uh, but it's like waist high right now. And we will pick it up next what time. What the heck is happening? It is a huge, huge tidal wave. Damn. I'll have you make a perception check when we start to see if you can even see him amongst amidst all the I'm chaos. I'm just screaming. I love it. Everybody, Sam, that was Samson and all of your uh, cohorts taking up the call. Unbelievable. We'll see what happens next. Next.